This episode is brought to you in part by Barton Kane, revolutionizing gouged shaped and profiled bassoon cane with precision, consistency, and love since 2012. Leave the cane processing to us. Free up time to practice, take a romantic dinner cruise, or cuddle on the couch with your cat on a rainy day and listen to Double Read Dish. Enter coupon code Double Read Dish Rocks My World, no spaces, for free shipping on your next Barton Kane order. That's www.bartonkane.com. Sing and Dog Double Read Supplies is an online double read shop and one of the largest suppliers of high quality and affordable professional and student reads for oboe and bassoon in the USA. Please visit them at www.singindog.com to see all of their products. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. It is not even 7 a.m. yet. <laughs> Last night, you oh so kindly texted me, 8.30 your time, heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciated that <laughs> because you know me too well. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. This, we're waiting to record an interview with someone from Europe. So those are always in early interviews. This is not our earliest European interview, but we thought let's crank out the dish at the same time <laughs> because this last week was for me the first week of school mm-hmm. and we have been so busy. I feel like our text ratio for the week went down significantly. <laughs> You've got a huge project coming up. Talk to me about how you've entered the new academic year. I have a stress rash <laughs> on my face. <laughs> so it's going well so far. <laughs> I am doing everything online so far. Mm-hmm. It has been very interesting. This I'm starting my sixth year at USM, which is very exciting, but also scary because I'm turning in my tenure portfolio, t- tenure dossier on mm-hmm. Monday. Uh, <laughs> it's Saturday for reference it's Saturday. for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, send her a virtual high five if you think of it as you listen. <laughs> Uh, technology is not my strongest strength, shall we say, (laughs) and we have transitioned to a fully digital dossier submission, which has been oh so confusing (laughs) for those of us who are not technologically inclined. So that's been an adventure. And plus we are in the, we just finished the second week of class. And I think the transition to fully online class has actually been pretty good. Um, I wonder if we should talk about our setups, actually, because I've been pretty pleased with what I've been able to do. I've been kind of surprised at how smoothly it has all been going. In fact, one of my students, I was able to help her adjust her oboe and like make it work again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So what has been working for me, if you listen to the last uh, episode with Linda Beth Binkley, she mentioned using a two camera solution. So a camera on your face and a camera on your hands. So that is what I've been doing for read class and for um, helping with like adjustments and, and repair and things like that. And that has been actually fantastic. And there are some benefits to it too, in that when you have the camera so close to the thing you're looking at, they can mm -hmm. actually see it in better detail than mm -hmm. in regular read class. Mm -hmm. And when the students have to do it themselves, they're actually learning more <laughs> than when I just grab the oboe out of their hands and I'm like, let mm -hmm. me just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I've got a gooseneck phone holder attached to my desk that I can move around for my, I'm using my phone as my second camera. Um, and I'm using an app called Epic Cam that is through the phone, but it also connects through the computer so that you can just share on Zoom. You can share the Epic Cam and it's got um, uh, different options for video resolution. So you can go really in detail better than I can on just the camera app on mm -hmm. my iPhone. Mm -hmm. So that has actually been working pretty well. I know that a dot cam is a good solution for that, but I don't know about you, but I cannot find a dot cam under $600 these days. <laughs> so I did find one, but it's on order and I'm expected to get it in October. So yes, your case is rested. <laughs> And you're using clean feed as well, right? Oh yeah, I am using clean feed um, because sometimes uh, if the student is accessing their Zoom link on their phone or iPad, it can be tricky to adjust the Zoom settings or sometimes if the connection isn't that good, the Zoom sound can be disappointing even with you know, changing all the audio settings like everybody already knows how to do. Mm -hmm. um, so clean feed has its limitations. It's, you can only use it with the Chrome browser. So you have to download Chrome. Um, you can use it on an Android phone or a laptop, uh, any laptop, Mac is fine, um, but you can't use it on an iPhone or an iPad. So it does have its limitations, but the sound quality is fantastic. So much better than Zoom actually. So what we've been doing is we've been getting on Zoom and using it for the video and then muting Zoom, logging into clean feed and using the clean feed audio. Mm -hmm. So that has been actually working beautifully. And it seems like the connection is a lot more stable too. Yeah. What have you been doing? Well, I've been doing a lot of what you described. Uh, the applied teacher community is really strong and communicative. So mm -hmm. a lot of those things have been on my radar and uh, there's lots of resources. If I'm being honest, the main source of my stress has been my theory class oh. and um, figuring out how to do that online in a way that is smooth and doesn't trigger my toxic perfectionism. Ooh, why is that so true? <laughs> <laughs> you just knifed me in the chest with that phrase. <laughs> so it's like, I'll have a PowerPoint ready to talk to them about a concept. And then I'll say, okay, and then we'll go and do one in finale. And then we'll, you know, go to a breakout room and the, okay, you have to unshare the PowerPoint screen and then reshare the finale screen and the toggling and the this and that. And 
it's clunky. feeling like uh, I want to be really put together and, you know, this and that. <laughs> and most of it is stuff I'm putting on myself. But one thing that is really cool for our listeners who are teaching classes or even taking classes is I have encouraged my students to use the private chat. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, you know, you're like, ask a question. And then that kid who it comes to really naturally just blurts it out. And maybe you have a student who gets it just as much, but they have to think for a second and they don't get the chance to go through the thought process because the fast thinker blurts it out. And I'll, so I'll say, okay, tell me, is this an extended tonicization or a modulation? Put it in the private chat. That is brilliant. Then I'll be like, oh, Michael... Uh, your answer is correct. Tell your fellow students how you came to that. And then Michael will explain to the class. Um, but also just as a pipeline of like, especially on a Zoom call to be like, Dr. Wilson, I don't get this. It's kind of a really vulnerable act. And so I said, you know, put it in the private chat. Hey, could we go over that one more time? Why can't I, you know, double that voice or whatever? And they've been using that. And that has been really cool. So that is such a good idea. I've got some wins and some losses, but <laughs> I'm learning every day and the students are being really flexible, understanding and cool about it. So <laughs> I, yeah, just keeping cool. If you're listening to this as a student listener, just like keeping cool. You guys are amazing. If your professors are not telling you they appreciate it, I'm telling you they appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like I've been ran over by a truck. I stress yeah. ate a bag of gummy bears on Thursday. <laughs> We're doing our best. It's hard. It's really hard. I really want my rash to go away. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been like, wait, can you all hear me? Hold on. How do I do? Wait. Oh, I taught 10 minutes of a class and they couldn't hear me and I couldn't hear them. And, or wait, they could hear me, but I couldn't hear them. And I was asking questions and I was like, no one knows the answer. And they're like, put in the chat, they're like, we're talking. Your sound is off. And I was like, oh, great. Cool. Edmund Nielsen Woodwinds has been serving the Double Reed community for 70 years. Nielsen sells a wide variety of oboe, oboe de mort, English horn, bassoon, and contrabassoon reeds and cane, as well as reed making accessories, reed cases, and lafrex. And of course, they have the classic Nielsen wedge knife, which features a double hollow ground and choice of handle size. In addition, they have many other knives available. Nielsen has long been known for their large heckle bassoon vocal inventory. Fill out their online trial form to find the perfect heckle vocal for you. For all your double reed accessory needs, Nielsen is ready to help you. Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at www.chemicalcityreads.com. are so happy to be talking to the great bassoonist, the administrative director of the Imani Wins, and founding member of the Imani Wins, Monica Ellis. Welcome to Double Redished. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. We love to start out by asking our guests how they came to play their instruments. So how did you start playing the bassoon? 
Well, the bassoon and me, we go way back. So <laughs> I've had some amazing teachers um, for really my entire career, my entire upbringing. And that is how the bassoon came into my life. Um, my middle school band teacher, uh, Mr. Art Powell, Arthur Powell from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, uh, introduced the instrument to me. I was uh, I call, like to call myself a self-proclaimed band kid, for sure, was in the band programs and starting in, you know, as early as third grade. Um, and uh, around sixth grade, I was playing saxophone and clarinet in my middle school band. Um, and then around eighth grade, he said, well, why don't you give something else a try? And he literally just kind of handed me the bassoon. I did not request it. I didn't have a thinking a thought that I wanted to try it out. I just uh, literally was handed the box and said, what is this? And he, I think, felt like a, a, a challenge would be good for me because I was doing well at the other instruments. Um, and I, I also played piano pretty seriously from early, early uh, elementary school all the way through high school, really. So, um, you know, just music was all around me. So when he handed me the bassoon, handed me the case, I had no idea what it was, like I said, and then took it home, me and a fingering chart, and just kind of started piddling around a bit. Um, and then next thing you know, I'm starting to enjoy it. My, uh, my clarinet teacher at the time um, was, is also, he was also a, a, a bassoonist. He was a doubler still in, in Pittsburgh to this day, Mr. Koval, Phil Koval, shout out. And uh, he really started me in the beginning, in those beginning years, um, really months, I would say, to just make sure I was holding the instrument correctly, you know, forming the embouchure correctly. And to this day, I think because I had those very early years and, and weeks of, of instruction, um, that got me off on a good foot. So I wasn't just kind of out there by myself, you know, in the beginning, which can be really difficult for kids. I think um, if you get some really early instruction, some really good early instruction, then, you know, that can lead to, to being successful later on. Um, but anyway, right. So Mr. Koval, he, um, he helped me along in those, in those early weeks, months. And then um, we kind of split our time between the clarinet lesson and the, and the bassoon. And I would say within a, a school year, um, he said, I think you should actually go and study with someone else. And so, again, a wonderful teacher had the foresight to, to put me along, you know, a path of, of being with another teacher that he thought would be better for me. So, you know, I'm always in, I'm incredibly indebted to him for that act of graciousness, you know. Um, and so Mr. Pantsarev, Mark Pantsarev, who at the time was... Um, the second bassoonist in the Pittsburgh Symphony became my teacher that I was with through high school and who set me up for getting my instrument and, you know, auditioning for, for schools and so forth. So yeah, just a big collection of wonderful, very uh, giving and, and loving teachers. How did you decide that music was something that you wanted to pursue in terms of a profession? When did that take shape and could you maybe talk to us about your educational journey uh, in terms of like college and, and training that, in that regard? Sure. Well, um, I really did know that I wanted to be a musician from the, from the beginning. And um, 
you know, my parents were incredibly supportive. Um, my, my late father was a musician as well. So a saxophonist, jazz saxophonist. So it was in my blood and, and just in, you know, just in my surroundings very much so. And when they saw that early um, develop or that, that early interest, you know, um, that the, so the, I'll, I'll give you guys, speaking of dish. So this is, this is the, the family, the family myth. Um, well, I guess maybe not myth, but you know, the family story, whatever, uh, is that when I first tried the clarinet, I had a natural embouchure. So, you know, I just didn't like plop my, my, my lips on the mouthpiece, but you know, I, I formed an embouchure that was seemingly, um, just naturally done. So, you know, they're like, she's going to be a musician. It's going to happen. <laughs> to follow in the footsteps you know and that, that like maybe is true there's there's could have been some truth to that i, I can neither deny nor confirm the aforementioned um <laughs> so but anyway right so they they saw that early that early interest and um cultivated it you know they didn't they didn't like smash it down and just said okay well let's get her into this let's get her into that and I really didn't do other stuff you know I wasn't like and I didn't I never took ballet lessons I never went and took you know pottery lessons or anything it was really just all about being on this musical track um so so once again I'm eternally grateful for their um support and them developing what was there um, and so that the teachers, I think, you know, were able to just just take that 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 home life molding and continue it. Um, so yeah, so then you know all of that other stuff that I was just talking about through middle school and high school when I got into the youth orchestras in Pittsburgh. The uh, you know there were a couple of youth orchestras at the time. And growing up, by the way, in Pittsburgh was amazing. It's an amazing place to to grow up because there were so many just opportunities and the public school systems were amazing. There was a after school pro or rather a Saturday program that I went to for 10 years. So from, you know, from whatever that would be math, whatever, <laughs> fourth grade or whatever, <laughs> all the way through college, through high school. Um, it was called Centers for Musically Talented, right? And so I would stay all day there free program through the public school system. Um, I would go to one of the public schools and there were lessons, chamber music, coachings, and, mm -hmm. you know, so I was playing, I was playing chamber music, playing piano in, in the 10th grade, playing like, you know, Mendelssohn, something or another chamber music. So just amazing opportunities were, were happening around me. So um, I'm uh, really grateful for, for those, uh, those experiences. Um, so Mr. Prancerev, he said, well, here's where, where you should lead, where you should go. Um, and he led me to audition for certain schools. And I ended up at Oberlin for my undergrad. Um, and uh, the, the, I auditioned for Oberlin, Eastman, and Indiana. And so um, we kind of, my mom and I, you know, got in the car and went those directions, <laughs> due, due west and, and north <laughs> from, uh, from Pittsburgh. And, and yeah, Oberlin, you know, it's, it was really just an incredible fit. It was like literally the sun came out, you know, from snowing in Rochester, you know. <laughs> um, they were on, the, those two were happening to be on the same weekend. And, uh, and it was, it, yeah, it just, it just fit so well. And we, we loved it, the campus and the energy and the vibe there. And, um, 
Yeah, when you talk to us OBs, we we really love Overland. Like this, this <laughs> it's weird, you know. It's a strange sort of affinity that we have for our alma mater. Um, and wherever you go, don't like you know. Of course, nowadays we can't walk around so much, but you know, before quarantine, we would. If you walk around with a sweatshirt of Overland, like in any given place, public vicinity in New York City, then you will meet somebody who went to Overland. <laughs> Or to be such a small school, it's like how are we? How are we everywhere? For it was only right. twenty five hundred people at any given time in the, in the campus. So, but anyway, yes. Um, study with George Sakikini there at Oberlin again. Very influential teacher for me. And then um, I for grad school, I headed to New York because I had a boyfriend at the time who lived in New York, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, maybe I'll audition for New York. <laughs> Okay, that sounds as good as anything, right? Uh, <laughs> that's actually a true story. I'm not even joking. Oh, um, like he he was from New York and and uh, was living there. He had finished his grad work elsewhere. I met him at Oberlin and came back to he came back to New York to do um, work, you know, to start his career. And so um, so I auditioned for. Julia Manhattan School, Yale, Vanis, and uh, yes, ended up going to <laughs> going to Juilliard to study with Frank Morelli. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so I went the usual route with my education, but nowadays I think you're just kids are just so much more informed, which is good, by the way. You know, I don't necessarily suggest doing it the way I did it. <laughs> um, you know, be informed about the teachers, be informed about the experience you're going to have. But for me, it was kind of just a little instinct and a little bit of uh, kind of just faith of this will, this is where I need to be at this point in time. So, I, you know, I think because we have so much opportunity to get information now, nowadays, it's a good thing. But at the same time, you kind of just have to go on feel too and, and, and do what, do what feels right, do what seems right, as opposed to say, what what is right on paper and you know the the, the data that you've collected you know because you've studied this teacher and that teacher and this this job uh, teacher will get you this job and you know so yeah I mean if I had gone in another direction who knows where where I would have ended up in my you know life and, and career would have been much much different so um, so yeah yeah there's the there's the story more or less of how I ended up where I am <laughs> at least in New York City you know whole lot more happened. <laughs> so you mentioned having faith and being okay with a certain level of risk. And that I would imagine very much contributed to jumping into a chamber music career over an orchestral career yeah. or a teaching career. And I would love to know more about your decision to kind of strike out on your own in this really cool, and it ended up being very successful way, but probably at the time you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. No, we didn't, we didn't know. We didn't, well, Valerie Coleman, in all her wisdom and guidance, she knew, she knew. Mm. And um, she really is a special person on many levels. Um, uh, because she knew what Imani Wins could be and and eventually developed into, um, but but yeah, how how do I how do I choose to be a, a chamber music musician? I don't even think it was that. It was um, 
again, the benefit of being in a city like New York, or, or not like New York, New York, because there's nothing like New York, um, but, but being in New York City, uh, after I finished my master's at Juilliard, I actually went up to Manhattan School of Music to do a post-grad thing with, with Frank for another year. Um, basically, I was like, I don't think I heard anything you said for the last two years, so... <laughs> wasn't really paying attention. Can you, <laughs> could you, could I do a, could I, could I like try a, a third year somewhere with you, wherever it is? Yeah, I don't know. Um, he, <laughs> so um, he said, you know, the, the, um, the, the uh, artist diploma program at Juilliard is, you know, crazy hard to get into. And so he said, come up to Manhattan School, audition for Manhattan School, the orchestral performance program, and let's see what happens there. And um, so I did that. And so I, I ended up th being there for a year um, in the program. And it was just kind of started, actually, I want to say, and this is, this is in 96. Uh, uh, yeah, 96, 90, 97, 98. Sorry, I graduated from, uh, from Juilliard in 97. So 97, 98. And um, so, yeah, obviously, orchestral performance program, you're talking about uh, studying for doing doing mock auditions, preparing preparing for that route, and um, certainly you, yeah, you go into college as a or oboist, a bassoonist, clarinet, whatever these orchestral instruments, with that being kind of the the, the route you're going to take. But New York kind of took over for me, uh, and I, what I mean by that is that the opportunities here allowed for me to just do a million other things, you know, I, I found myself in um, trios here just to just to, you know, make a little bit of, of, of freelance money. And, and um, we did I was in something called the Ebbets Field Trio and old timers, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about Ebbets Field, but but folks, folks that know, no. Um, and <laughs> uh, with uh, with a dear friend of mine, David Hattner, uh, um, who conducts out in Portland now and has been for many, many years. He's a clarinetist. And uh, we would go do these trio gigs at nursing homes and, and you know, other types of uh, unfamiliar uh, or, or non-traditional venues. Um, so, you know, we got, that was early on. So I was doing that for a little while. I was doing um, some, some ringer work, you know, because people need bassoon players. Um, I was playing in this uh, amazing group called Absolute Ensemble that is uh, a electroacoustic um, chamber orchestra that was kind of starting at the same time. So folks were just doing interesting things and asked me to be a part of it. And next thing you know, that route of freelance, not even Imani wins so much, but freelancing and just popping around and, and uh, doing a little bit of private lessons here and there. And I started at Juilliard's MAP program, the music advancement program teaching there. Um, that started to take more of, my, more of my time than actually preparing for auditions. And I did a handful. I certainly did a handful of auditions, but that was just more interesting to me to just do other stuff and to, um, you know, still be playing at a really high level, but not just strictly on, on dealing with excerpts. Um, and yes, yeah, so Imani wins at, really at that very time in 97, was when um, all of us got the call from Valerie Coleman, our founding flutist, uh, who had this idea. And she said, you know, you don't know me, but 
I've gotten your name from some from from different places, and uh, I'd love to to tell you about this idea that I have. And next thing you know, the five of us are sitting in a practice room in uh, it was Manhattan School, um, playing something or another, maybe Nielsen, I don't know something. <laughs> and, um, and she late many years later, she would talk about how she just you know had all the feels, as we say nowadays, all, <laughs> all the all the 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 yummy feels about what this could be. Um, and the rest of us were kind of like, okay, see you later, you know, <laughs> um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think um, when I do look back on it, uh, it's, it was something, something special was occurring in that room, you know, in those, in, in those, in those first few moments um, that we, to the point where we wanted to come back, you know, we wanted to come back to, to each other and try it again. And then we wanted to do that again and again and again. And so of course it developed into, whew, into what has now been 23 years of a, of a career. But it was, yeah, I had, I had no intention of saying, I'm gonna be a chamber music musician. You know, there was not, that was not the case. Um, I, again, was just really into a bunch of different things. And that is what I was cobbling together a career of, uh, you know, income. Um, uh, and and some people really 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 want to play in an orchestra, you know. So they focus on that route. Um, I didn't have that specific desire, but I I did not have it either. So I think eventually one thing just kind of won out over the other. Mm-hmm. Kind of along those lines, and I know this is a big question, so maybe it's just kind of something more to chew on. But something Galit and I have been discussing a lot lately in our friendship with this pandemic is kind of this notion of um, not going back to normal and how in the beginning for me, that was a very scary thing. I wanted things to go back to normal. Um, And now I'm kind of viewing it differently in terms of we've had to get as a field a lot more creative. And we've also had to question um, who we are relevant to and whom we are serving and in what ways. And we've talked a lot about um, the importance of being uh, interdisciplinary and creative and inventive and and relevant to perhaps just beyond who classical music has been primarily relevant to. And these are all things that Imani Wins was doing far before uh, it had to be thought of, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, I guess I would be interested in I know it's too big to ask, how did you become what you became? But there had to be many (laughs) points along the line (laughs) where you had an idea and then you made it a reality or you had an idea that had never been done before and it happened or there was repertoire that didn't exist and you had to find it. So I guess um, your experiences in that regard and Mm -hmm. if you have any advice for those of us as we're contemplating how we come out of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it is a big question, but it's, it's, it's a good one. You know, it's, I think it's good to ask these big questions while we're in the midst of, of the, the uprisings that we're having as well as the pandemic. And um, yeah, some, some good has to come from all of this. Right. So, so it's, it's good to be sort of contemplating on all of it. And yeah, you know, we were so fortunate to have 
the composers in the in the group, Jeff, Scott, and Valerie, that um, we constantly had um, new ideas coming, new artistic ideas coming to to us that were really from their brains, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, we we talk to to people all the time, to young artists all the time, saying that you need multiple people in your camp. You know, you can't, it's, it's cool to stay in, in our little box of a practice room and, and deal with Marriage of Figaro because that's very important <laughs> and, and your arpeggios or whatever. Um, but, at, but at a point for anything, whether it be the playing itself or something more broad, like what you want to start in, a, in terms of a career or, or a focus, uh, it is important to have a lot of people that are surrounding you where you can, who you can connect to um, and who will potentially be lifelong partners in any given venture. And so with us, that was definitely the case. And so their artistic visions and ideas and concepts led and drove ultimately what, what is, what you're talking about, Jackie, of the, um, the types of things that we did that were, that were innovative and addressing social consciousness and social justice and um, highlighting figures in, in our world that, that hadn't been done, um, particularly the African-American community. So um, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we had, again, we had those people in, in our world, but it didn't, it, it, they couldn't have survived without the rest of us the other three of us, and then the other three of us couldn't have survived without them bringing those ideas to the to the fore. Um, so you know the so the process, I guess, the journey is really that one of collaboration. It's one of of partnership. It's 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 it was not a it's not a solo. I mean, it's truly the essence of chamber music in in that sense, um, where you know you've got different people bringing bringing ideas to the table in a constant way that is going to flourish into something that is way more powerful than something that you can just do on your own. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's what even being in an orchestra is about, you know, that they're not that different from one another. Um, because yes, you got to get there by yourself. Uh, but once you're there, it's the power of the, of the four of the group. That is why it is so powerful being in an orchestra. So, um, uh, so what the heck else am I talking about? You're right. So you're, <laughs> you know, some of the things that we did, I think that were so um, monumental for us was um, those early projects. I mean, we did, we did a project based on the life of Josephine Baker that, you know, was that happened going on probably like 15 years ago now. Um, that was one of our, one of our early commissioning projects. Uh, where a, a composer named Fred Ho, Ho Asian-American composer that wanted to write about Josephine Baker and her children and the ethnicities of her children, that, that very thought led to us putting on a whole concert that highlighted her work, her history, her, her stake in, you know, not just African-American culture, but in the world's events. So anyway, you know, we went outside our circle to find him. And uh, that again, led to this big project that we toured and, um, and collaborated with other musicians and artists on. Um, so, you know, where are we now? We, we are doing where we, to get to the point of your question, 
your, your thoughts and your comments. We're in a place now where we do have to be more innovative, where we do have to kind of think about the, the new normal. And by the way, I should just say, I want things to go back to normal too. Like, I can't wait. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'm sitting at home like, when can I get on a plane again? Because I love the Delta Lounge, you know? Like, I love the Delta Lounge. When can I come back to you, Delta Lounge? So, I just, yeah. So, you know, I just, I went, I went through a, a, probably not so different than a lot of other people went through a period at the early parts of the pandemic now some months ago of, of real remorse. And, and I mean, you know, I was really sad, not only because of the people that were dying and the, and the society that we are living in for that to even occur, but yeah, you know, we're losing our, not just income, but just our purpose. You know, it was, it, it was like, how do we find purpose in what we do as artists when we, are specifically supposed to connect with people and that that is literally being cut off like done you cannot connect that you that's the very thing you cannot do right now um and so right so you know we're, we're in this in this world of technology being so much a part now of what uh our lives consist of so you know we do have to allow for us to be much more open much more um receptive of newer ways of thinking about creating art and creating those connections. Um, and I think it's working very interestingly, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not the same. Absolutely not. And, and we will slowly come back to our lives, but uh, it is an interesting way that, that um, technology now has, has come into our lives to still meet people, you know, but just in a different way. I've completely answered a question you didn't ask, but um, <laughs> yeah, we love that. But that's all I got. Yeah. As the follow-up question to that, while you were speaking, I was just thinking about you know all of the future music majors, current music majors who are entering this career at this very strange point, and. I would love to know what your advice would be to them for people who want to make a musical career, but don't have that foothold yet. You know, I personally believe that um, we need to nurture skills like administrative skills, entrepreneurial skills, accounting skills, right? Like all of these different interdisciplinary sciences or art forms where we can merge and create each person can create something that only they can do mm -hmm. the way that they do it mm -hmm. and i'm just i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that and your advice to um these creative and enterprising young people who are entering a world that we don't know what it looks like yet yeah yeah and and right um you know, I wish I had I had more answers than I ultimately do. To to tell you the mm -hmm. truth, um, I'll tell you what my what my literal instinct is, and it could be my you know naive optimism, but <laughs> um, my instinct is that stay the course. My instinct is that we will ultimately come out of this, and what you had in mind for your life six months ago, that then immediately changed three months ago doesn't have to be what you are six months from now 
if that makes any sense. You know, you can you can stay the course of your of what you were planning for your life um, in the midst of this because I think we need something to ground us. I think we need to have uh, we we need to feel like what we were what we were before all of this happened. There's some semblance of that that is remaining. Uh, I think it can be, especially for, you know, younger people coming, coming like right out of school or even still within school, whether it be graduate, pro undergrad, graduate programs, um, you know, you're still trying to figure it out, right? right? So if you say, oh, well, I've got to do all these other things because um, the world now has smacked us in the face and, and forced us to be in this alternate reality, it can be very jarring. Now, now certain people can take it and... Uh, and you know, just run with it, and 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 create these other opportunities for themselves, and that is incredibly, uh, you know, I acknowledge that as 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 an incredible thing to do. But also, don't don't beat yourself up if you you know don't learn Russian in in the next <laughs> three months, <laughs> because oh, do something with all this time we've been given. You know what I mean? Right. Well, okay, you know. It's okay to stay in your lane, I think, in a good way. You know, it's, it's okay to, like I'm saying, stay the course because, again, that, that lack of, we're already in this place that is so, that, you know, the, the, the bottom's been pulled out from under us. So, you know, I need to just keep doing what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing. Now, at the same time, to your point, um, I think we do need to start thinking outside the box, you know. Um, but if you spread yourself too thin, you're just, it's going to dissipate. Um, but I'm a big proponent of before the pandemic of understanding some of the things that you just talked about, um, uh, you know, administration when it comes to in, in the arts, uh, simple accounting skills, simple bookkeeping skills. And, and, you know, that leads to what I have my other job with anybody wins, which is uh, administrative director of the group, um, which really houses all sorts of roles really um but yeah these are things that we these are skills that we should be cultivating regardless of what's going on in the world today you know for that matter uh what is going on in the in social justice and and what's happening on the streets of our cities in this country these are things that we should have been talking about before george floyd got murdered in front of our faces you know uh, uh equity and inclusion um di diverse positions of power. This is stuff that, why did it take for that horrific act to occur that, oh, now we gotta think about this, you know? And so, so yes, of course it did happen. And in a way there's, there, we're like, finally the world is seeing what people of color and uh, marginalized communities have been going through and have been talking about for decades and even generations. So, you know, there's something in you that says, well, yeah, it's good that people are finally seeing it and, and real change has a chance to, to occur. But again, it, it shouldn't be because these terrible things have happened. It's because it's the right thing to do. It's because it's, it's the right way to be, a, you know, coming back to being a musician in today's time, um, you know, granted, learn how to, how to do a blog. I don't know. Learn, learn how to, you know, create a podcast is what I mean. <laughs> learn things that are outside of your skill set, but be okay with staying within what you, what you know and love, because ultimately that's, what's going to power you 
through when all of this craziness is over. You know, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna need we're gonna need what we know and love and what we are passionate about before this shit happened to sustain us for after we come out of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, thousand percent. Uh, kind of related. I'd love to hear your thoughts on your experiences as a representation in our field. I know I have told you, you were the first woman of color I saw holding a bassoon. And I have heard colleague after colleague after colleague say the same thing to you or say the same thing to Toyin. And I, maybe Valerie knew, but I wouldn't be surprised if you guys weren't necessarily aware of, we are going to be these role models. We're going to be these people in subsequent musicians' lives who they they really look to uh, in this, to function as this representation of we're going to be the first people who look like them, who make them feel like I can too. And I know that you and, and many of your colleagues have been asked a lot of the past month or so in terms of, you know, being a representation. And that I, I just think that that may not be, I wasn't thinking of being the only, you know, indigenous bassoon player when I stepped into this. So, you know, what are your experiences in that? And I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's, it's incredibly humbling. And, um, you know, it just just brings just a smile to my heart to to hear people say these sorts of things that, um, that, you know, I was like, like you just said, Jackie, that I was the first person that, that, you saw first black woman you saw playing this instrument and that you know i think being a role model is not something you step into you don't say i'm going to grow up and be a role model you know and not that you <laughs> suggesting that whatsoever um those people are creepy those people are creepy. that's what you want to stay away from right well, thank you thank you um yeah yeah it's but right you you just you, you're just kind of going about the work and uh you know, pounding away at the work and just just hoping that you're making a difference. Um, and and lo and behold, as that happens, the years go by. You start to realize, wow, this is happening. This this we are being put put into this position. And and um, as a result, whether you like it or not, people ask your opinion and people want to know what you think and want to know where you're coming from because you. Uh, and do have this very specific experience, life experience, and and so personally, I've I've taken it um, in stride. I've I've um, again, I'm humbled by the idea that I am now have become a role model for younger musicians and um, uh, especially black and brown women playing my instrument. So it's it's an amazing feeling. It truly, truly is. And so I'll say, you know, in the last, like you said, a say month and a half or so, there's there's been a, there's been a little level of exhaustion. It's, it's true. Um, but really, it's I cannot imagine. It's been a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, um, a little bit, a lot. But. I, um, and, and of course, you know, the person you you have to have a personality, I think that like can, can kind of be okay with it. Um, uh, I, I've taken the, I've taken the request to be a representative with in stride, I guess I've taken the request to be a representative of, uh, my, my gender, my race, my instrument, my career path with, um, 
a lot of desire to invoke change um, and uh, hopefully be that continuation of a role model. So, you know, when you are kind of thrusted into it, you can't just back away. I mean, you could, you know, you can do whatever you want, but um, I think a responsibility does start to take form and it's, it's necessary for, to absolutely make sure you're taking care of yourself and, you know, self-care so that you don't have any burnout or you're not becoming something that you didn't think you want to be, but also realizing that this, this place you're in is, 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 is important to other people. And yeah, as a musician, you know, I'm back to, you can't just live in that little box of a practice room. That, that we sometimes find ourselves in. We literally connect to other people, want to connect with other people um, and to, to, to fulfill what our passions are. And so if that means it's separate from literally just the, 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 the sound that's coming out of my instrument and actually has gone into this other place of being somebody to a whole other host of other people, then so be it, you know? And, and, um, uh, I have to be able and be okay with that. I personally feel like I got to be okay with being this represent representative because first of all, I'm very proud of who I am. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I'm the wallflower, so I'm okay with talking about it. Um, and I'm glad people are asking, frankly, at the end of the day, you know, I'm glad that, that there is a desire to want to know my story and to want to know the experiences that I've had because I feel really confident that it will help other people um, to be empowered to tell their own stories. So, you know, I got to be okay with that. Like, if I'm not, I need to, like, be in another profession, frankly. <laughs> and, and that's not, this is, I hope that's not coming off as judgmental because everybody has their own journey. And that's not to say that if you're, a, you know, a Black musician in classical music, you have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I have to do is practice my thirds. That's what I have to do. I, what I have to do is find a good read. That's what I have to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I do not need to be your token. I do not need to be the right. person to come to because you need to have some, uh, uh, you know, education on what it's like to be me, right? But at the same time, I get it, you know? So there is a duality in kind of, walking in in along this journey that um you know you want to just just do your thing but by doing that rec you have to recognize how you affect other people and and um and be okay with that communication that education um yeah yeah you know and and again the role model part is is um it's just awesome it's just really awesome i mean it's it's it, to just to, to know that you're having a, the positive effect on so many other types of people, especially girls, you know, like the girl, girl power thing. That that's that's really powerful to me. Um, so, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I have a, another question. It's maybe a, a little more literal. Um, you've been in a chamber group for over twenty years. And there's a lot of like interpersonal dynamics and, you know, we're both in a position of Boy, is playing <laughs> in chamber groups nah. and also like <laughs> teaching students how to play, you know, and how to uh, collaborate and rehearse. And you've 
been able to do it successfully. I mean, the original five were together for quite a long time before there were even any, mm-hmm. you know, personnel changes. So I'd love to hear right. kind of your experiences and approaches to chamber music rehearsals in terms of, you know, collaborating with people and, and doing it successfully. Sure. Yeah. Whew, yep. That's a biggie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, 17 years uh, was what we, we were 17 years before there was any personnel changes. And so, um, you know, we grew up together in a lot of ways. We, we literally became functioning adults with one another. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I sometimes say being in a chamber group is, it's all kinds of things, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's like a marriage. It's like friends with no benefits. It's, <laughs> you know, it's um, you're you're constantly you're constantly in a in a uh, a therapy session with a psychiatrist. You know, it's like it's and then it's just like you're having a beer with a friend. You know, like there's so many levels, and then you're making this very powerful music too. So, um, it's it uh, runs the gamut of social, um experiences i suppose uh you know I, I feel like there should be like an anthropological study on chamber groups because we're this different breed <laughs> of people and and you know over the years we've met a million of our colleagues you know just on the on festivals and circuits and concert series and and they all have similar similar experiences you know it's a very intimate experience. You, you, you're, you're giving of yourself through your music, through your instrument. And so, um, you know, it, it has to be, it's such, it's the, it's the epitome of give and take. Um, so there has been, um, yeah, you know, we had some blowouts in the beginning, but, and throughout for, for Pete's sake, there's, 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 all sorts of stories that can be told. Um, But I think with us and uh, what we do try to talk to younger groups and and, and whomever really about our experience is that from day one, even with Valerie's feeling of, uh, even Valerie's vision of, of knowing and having a sense of what the group would become, it was still a democratic feeling about it. It was still a democratic process. We never had, you know, an artistic director, so to speak. Um, there was never one person that was that was driving the bus that much to the point where other people didn't have that vested interest. And so um, I, I, I do feel like that has a, a huge um, aspect to why uh, we've been successful for all these years, because the contribution of everyone counted. Um, now, I will say that led also to some times when we just didn't move things along as quickly as we could have. So it's, it, can be, it can be difficult to, to, to get it moving when you have to hear everyone's opinion, whether that is about the length of this quarter note or the, you know, what are we going, our five-year plan, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, everyone's intru- everyone's contribution can sometimes be a little difficult for progress. However, in the long run, our experience has been that that's really what's necessary to 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 have that sustainability. Because then you feel like okay, this is where I want to kind of plant my roots and uh, and you know contribute for some long period of time, um, or at least a substantial period of time. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, it's, it was, it certainly wasn't 
it wasn't all roses at all, you know, but um, I think, you know, and of course there was the, the her, Valerie's whole point of, of bringing together people from similar cultural backgrounds uh, allowed for when things did get a little hot, a little tight, you know what I mean? Like, just, just like, I gotta get out of here, you know? <laughs> then we could like let off the scene by just talking about Stevie Wonder, you know what I mean? <laughs> And, and Prince, right? So, you know, there was the opportunity for us to just have have the, the, the exhale moments, if you will, um, because we felt so familiar with one another before you even picked up the instruments. Um, and that led to the to the concert stage. That the, that feeling, those um, uh, those again, all the feels, you know, like that that was important for us because people could recognize that on the stage, you know, we were never phoning it in. We were having fun on stage. We were laughing on stage, just like we were 10 minutes prior backstage. And, and, and I think people, that energy was, um, and we hope is still uh, infectious that people really want to just kind of grab hold of and experience for themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I think as best that you can, it's important when having a, your own group to make sure everybody is truly a part of it. You know, there's going to be a leader in one way or another. Again, I've take, I took on a leadership role early on when it came to administrative aspects of the group. Um, and so that certainly allowed for us to keep it going, you know, and, and to be in, um, to not get bogged down with minutia and, 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 you know, I, I, people in the group trusted me so I can make decisions, you know, in whatever given instance. Um, so of course you have to have that, but I think artistically, if it's possible to, to have that group feeling, then that's going to lead to something really special. We, we talk very often about the sixth member of Imani Wins, which is Imani Wins. We, we speak about that all the time. Like, there's the, there's the five of us and then right in the middle is all of us. And that's literally another entity. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's, we, you, you give of yourself so much and, and sacrifice so much for that entity, but then that's what ultimately needs to uh, be just as successful as you, um, as the individual in order to have the longevity. That is beautiful and very refreshing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would you tell us about a favorite memory you have from a past performance? Let's see. Um, it's hard not to say that any time we spent with the great Wayne Shorter um, is not up there with the favorite memories. Um, now, you know, going back again, 12, 13 years ago, we um, had the incredible opportunity to work with Wayne Shorter uh, amazing, iconic jazz saxophonist and composer. Um, and he, he was commissioned on our behalf to write for us. And it was the first time he wrote for um, a group that he wasn't a part of. And so that, that was very monumental in and of itself. Um, and so when he heard us play, play the piece that he wrote for us, he um, was inspired himself. And within a matter of six months, we, we were traveling with him he had collected, he had, he had decided to arrange some of his other works for us to play with his quartet. So it was the, the, the nine of us and we, you know, premiered the project at the Montreal Jazz Festival. Um, and then later that summer went all over Europe and then 
the following year, you know, had concerts at um, Hollywood Bowl, uh, um, Disney Hall, Carnegie Hall. And so th those experiences, um, you know, it wasn't even us, like that's just it, but it was still the most, <laughs> it, was, it was with other people. Um, but it opened our minds up so much. I mean, just rehearsing his piece, which by the way, um, we recorded it as Terra Incognita and it had so much detail to it, just the notes themselves, but hardly no detail when it came to um, dynamics, tempos, uh, articulations, but the, the music was, it's very dense, very layered, very, you know, all, all beautifully written, not simple at all, but like how to play that music was totally up to us. And that was something we had not experienced to that level, at least up until that point. And so he literally heard us play it and he said, oh, it sounds great. So next time you don't have to start at the beginning. <laughs> about we don't have to start at the beginning like what do you mean that, that, that doesn't even comprehend like oh yeah you can start in the middle and you know play it play something else <laughs> so you know just yeah yeah he just he opened our, our brains up to a style of playing that I think you know we would like to think we've continued on to this day that isn't just improvisatory it's not like don't play what's on the page but um, bring you know a new type of energy to to the music every time you do play it. So um, so yeah, th those are some of the the most absolute memorable moments of um, of our career. I think not just because of the profile of the venues, but but just being around those incredible musicians um, who we you know to this day consider our friends and colleagues and and uh, uh, mentors even. Um, and, you know, I have to say also, I, we did a, a tour in China about seven years ago and um, the, several concerts around the country. Um, and, and I got to say, those are, I mean, that's pretty dang memorable um, to come to a country that, that has, you know, did not have a lot of experience seeing wind quintet <laughs> um, on their stages and uh, uh, and hearing the music that, that we that we came with, but um, the reception was just so incredible and 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 we were so well received and it was so warm and um, so those were and the concert halls just magnificent structures you know um, so that those concerts and that um, being in that culture was truly like no other experience on the planet <laughs> for us. That's amazing. It is a double read podcast. So we have to ask about reads. Could you talk to All us right. <laughs> a bit about maybe um, your setup and if there's any um, read advice you'd like to pass along to our listeners? Sure, sure. Um, well, my setup is my uh, play on uh, my beloved Fox 201, uh, which is actually the only instrument I've ever had. Um, I got it when I was a senior in high school, so it's it's the same horn I still play on. Uh, back to Mr. Pantsarev, Mark Pantsarev, who, who helped me, my high school teacher, he facilitated getting that instrument for me. Um, and vocal-wise, uh, I played on a, a light singer, um, uh, one, the, a silver, one of them fancy light singers. I can't remember the, the 
the name of it, but I've had, um, for the last probably 10 years, I've been on Light Singers and I really, really love them. Um, I think, you know, they're incredible but vocals and I know his instruments are really great these days too. So, um, so yeah, that's the setup on that front. Reads, right. So about that, um, I don't make reads anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I had for a very long time, um, just, just, uh, gone with, um, Gal's shape profile re, uh, cane already and had gone away from, um, profiling and, and, and shaping and gotten the cane from, uh, uh, uh Miller uh, marketing, um, number 14 shape. I had gone away from uh, doing gal shaping profile for a long time. And I would say in the last year, I decided that it was just too time consuming for me to make reads <laughs> anymore. Legit. Um, legit, right? Yeah. I know. It, uh, I've never really been that good at it. I was never like super good. It was, I felt like it was just, um, you know, a means to an end. Same. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know. Um, so yeah. So it was. It was just. It was just a chore for me. Um, but obviously, I had to do it. I wanted to play the bassoon, so got to do what I got to do. Um, so progressively, I've just gone from you know the whole process to getting the cane already GSP to now not even doing that. And um, I'd love to shout out who's making my reads, uh, Ryan Morris. And so looking him up, Ryan Morris, um, he actually came to our chamber music festival, Imani Wins Chamber Music Festival, which would have had its 10th year this year. Um, but we'll be back next year. Um, it, uh, um, he came to the festival in, in, in the early years, like year two or three or so. Um, amazing bassoon player and a really, really talented reed maker. And um, so he, uh, I, I kind of called him out, called, contacted him and, and said, how do you feel about maybe making some reads for me and seeing about doing that all the time? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, fingers crossed. Um, and so he said, wow, I'd be, I'd be wonderful. And we talked about my, he knew what I, what I was doing beforehand. And so, yeah, you know, I, this, this is a thing where I got, I felt like I needed to like, not, I, I'm not an expert at it and it would just hinder my process, my progress. Um, and he's very, very good at it and very detailed at it and, you know, just was, uh, better. So, um, I feel like it's, it's the best money ever spent because, <laughs> You know, you you um you realize that time that I was taking trying to come up with the, with the best read and the best uh, uh, setup was being, you know, it was not being utilized. That time was not being utilized to the best of its its uh, potential. So, same cane, um, the Miller Select fourteen shape, but um, the blanks are, are being made by him now. So I'm very very happy with this and the, <laughs> by the way the success rate is has gone through the roof you know it's 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 because of the consistency that he provides that i just couldn't do that's how they do it in europe yeah yeah <laughs> it's exactly what you're talking about with surrounding yourself with people whose skills complement yours there you go there yeah. you go yes you can yeah. do that whether it's chamber music whether it's an accountant, whether it, mm -hmm. you know, a, a read maker. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you know, get, I, 
to poker term, to use a poker poker term, got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know when to walk away. I guess that's more Kenny Rogers. But anyway, he was talking about poker. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, find people that will make what you are doing better and easier mm-hmm. because there's just not enough hours in the day. And you know, I wouldn't suggest this as a, a student. You should absolutely like study read making and and know what you have to do but um you know nowadays there's specialists not not even nowadays this has existed for forever but there's specialists out there for a reason um that can enhance your experience you know Mm -hmm. so yes do that (laughs) at the end of the day those specialists ain't going to practice the horn for you you still got to do that (laughs) you know what i mean you're doing plenty like like be cool with that. You're still plenty to propel the, the mission, whatever that mission may be, right? So ask for help. It's all good. <laughs> Monica, we cannot justify taking any more of your time. Oh, see, I'm just thank you so you much. <laughs> <laughs> we are so honored to have this talk with you and are so thrilled and excited that you were able to join us on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you ladies so much and keep doing what you're doing. I, I love it. I support it. And um, I was, I'm happy to be a part of it. It's great to see you guys out there too, doing your thing. It's, yeah. It's yep. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Monica is awesome. We're tired and cranky. We promise next time we will be better and more refreshed. <laughs> well, they probably forgot how cranky we were because we were so delighted during Monica's interview. <laughs> That's true. It was recorded during a different time. Better time. Uh, anyway, <laughs> don't forget to follow us on social media. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, we always appreciate it. Galit, who do we have coming up on the next episode? This is an exciting one. We will be talking to Peter Cooper, principal oboist of the Colorado Symphony and oboe teacher at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Jackie, time to end this nerd parade. Go make reads. Take a nap. Yeah, take a nap, but reads can wait. (laughs) I need sleep.